morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, going through the book of 2 Samuel. Well, I appreciate all of you who are hanging with us because we told you yesterday that we read the most important chapter in 2 Samuel in chapter 7, but here you are, you haven't left off after the most important one. So, okay, let's see what we have today. Uh, you know, it's interesting, we're, we're back to victories in chapter 8. Uh, we, we're back to, it seems like, hey, things are good, um, you know, after the speed bumps that we hit in chapter 6, uh, you get a little bit too of development of some of the minor characters. We, we get a little bit more about uh, Joab and some of the other guys um, in the military, also the priests. So th- this is sort of kind of giving us, I think, more of a, how, I don't know how you'd say this, kind, kind of like more of just a, an overview of like, what was it actually like under King David and um, how, is, how is he doing? So uh, how is a king measured? Uh, how do you evaluate a ruler? Um, how do we evaluate our own government? Some good questions for us as well. Joining us, we've got Pastor John Lekumski, who is from Southern Illinois um, for I don't know how much longer, but for now anyway. And <laughs> he's also <laughs> one of the co-hosts of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO. Uh, if I recall correctly, Wednesdays 2 p.m. and Saturdays 9 at that's, uh, Central that Time. That is correct. Yeah? Yep. That's All right. It. That's it. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, Welcome yeah, back, yeah, brother. AJ, last time we talked, we were in Minnesota, and last Tuesday they had eight inches of snow, and we said, it's time to get out of here. <laughs> That's our cue. That's our cue. Yeah, Start the yeah. car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're back in southern Illinois, and, and now we've got nothing but rain. Rain, 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 rain. But at least not snow, so that's okay. We'll take the rain. That's right. Yeah, when, when things are working correctly, the, the rain doesn't pile up. Um, but, but it doesn't always work right. And sometimes that happens too, but, um, yes, but well, welcome back. And yeah, so missed out on the most important chapter, but this one seems pretty cool still. I mean, like you just have, uh, I mean, just, I guess so many of these little like things just kind of, uh, it's pretty quick, right? Like you don't have a very, it's not a slowed down detailed description of the battle, right? But you have just kind of a lot of what David was up to and get a better sense of, you know, so uh, what was the David administration like? Well, well, so so if chapter seven is the most important chapter, you really do need to have chapter eight because in chapter seven, here's the promise God made in verse 10. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. Violent men shall afflict them no more. Well, that's big talk, God. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks <laughs> thanks for making us that promise, God. But are you going to follow through? And, and so I think chapter 8 is kind of God saying, of course I'm going to follow through. I don't ever make promises that I don't keep. And so this is kind of a chapter where we find out that indeed the violent men are going to be put in their place. Subdued them. That's the word right there in the first verse of chapter 8. He subdued them. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, and it's interesting to, to think about that. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, the phrase too, right? Like violent men, it's sort of like, well, who's not a violent man in <laughs> first and second Samuel? Uh, I mean, you know, Samuel himself, right? You know, like apparently knew his way around a sword, but. 
Uh, but but no, right. I mean, just thinking about that, like you know, how is violence even used, right? And and the way that that David uses violence is different from the way that that others do. And and uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of talk about that as well. So yeah, well, I think well, I think that- you're right. You gotta you gotta have some meat on these bones, right? And so. If, uh, you know, chapter seven makes these big promises, like you, you got to flesh this thing out. Now, now, on the other hand, AJ, you got my mind running down a path that I had not even thought about. Uh-uh. Uh, uh, yeah, because right away, see, we hear violent men and we do think about the Moabites and the Philistines and, and all the other people that are defeated here who, who just wanted to wipe Israel off the map. OK, but, I, you know, you, you've got a point there. What David does here, too, is is pretty violent. What Samuel did, as you said, was was pretty violent. Maybe we're getting a little bit of that picture where Jesus says, you know, if you think that guy's a worse sinner, then you need to remember if you don't repent, you will all likewise perish. So maybe there's a little condemnation of all men in that statement that he'll, uh, uh, the violent men will afflict them no more. Uh, I hadn't thought of that, but there might be a point to that too. So, well, yeah, I think yeah, there's something to that, right? You know, like so, why why were violent men afflicting the Israelites? Um, yeah. Did it have something to do with some of the failures of Israel? He certainly, yeah, of course, certainly, it does. Right? So, does. so yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, it's, it's there's something to that. Um, there's something also to, uh, I, I, I guess, for us in some ways, kind of reflecting on it. In some ways, you know, we're we're no better than than our era, uh, our age, yep. Yep. uh, allows yep. us to be, you know? And, and so you look at this and you, you don't read this as like, ah, well, look at all these, you know, barbaric, violent people, but, but, uh, appreciating the set of circumstances too. So a lot, yeah, a lot of good things to consider today, but, uh, before we get too far down these rabbit holes here, uh, brother, would you go ahead and start us off with a prayer? Oh Lord, we, uh, we do pray for the gift of your spirit. Uh, that we would not read this text and, and think that these are people other than us. Uh, but that as we look in these stories, we see that this is about us. It's about what's going on in our lives right now. Uh, certainly, we probably aren't supposed to do everything that David does in this text. But but yet, I think the message applies to all people of all ages. And so, by the Spirit, help us to see the words of uh, law that are here, but also certainly the great words of comfort that are found in this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And uh, we also give thanks for the confirmation of Justice Barrett and ask God's blessings on her tenure on the highest court of the land. Um, Speaking of leaders, right? Um, Yep. Yep. So in chapter eight, I guess we should maybe start by considering, okay, uh, chapter chapter seven was this, it was all about this promise, right? In, In chapter six, Related to that, and I'm glad that we were able to also have on Pastor Henriksen for our bonus podcast. If everyone listening, if you didn't catch that, um, that that's just go find the podcast. So uh, go ahead and go Google Podcasts or um, you know uh, the iTunes Store or whatever, and just type in you know Thy Strong Word, and you'll find it. Got went into a little bit more depth on that. How Psalm 132 kind of connects it as David's trying to find a way for the Ark of the Covenant to to come home to be in the center of Israel's life instead of just up on a hill with Abinadab out in the boonies, right? To, to have, have God's presence, right, and his covenant and his word be central to what's going on. And, and so I, I think that uh, with all of that kind of in the background, you know, this kind of military campaign is sort of like, hang on, what? Um, 
so when when was the last time that we were even talking about uh, these kind of like military moves and the, the different enemies and moving troops around the field? Are you asking me? <laughs> remember, <laughs> that, that, you never, you never I haven't can been doing tell. First Samuel. You, 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 you never, first, you never can Samuel. tell if it's a rhetorical question with me. Sometimes, <laughs> no. you know, I just it's uh, no, but that that was a real one. Um, <laughs> well, I we don't know. You, you tell me, AJ, because I'm I'm coming in in the middle of the story. <laughs> I haven't okay. been listening to the podcast. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So, yeah, it's interesting because in, 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 um, in, in first, in first Samuel, and I think we had kind of more of this stuff, especially the engagement with the Philistines. Of course, we know at the end of first Samuel, there was a big battle with the Philistines that ended up with uh, Saul and his sons dying on Mount Gilboa. Um, so much of the action in second Samuel is reactions to the news and these sorts of developments, assassinations, uh, murder grudges uh the the only thing that you kind of have in second samuel last time it was uh i think it was like back in chapter two or was it even maybe chapter um like three but like you just kind of have um yeah like in chapter two and three yeah you have like this description of a of a like a battle that's going on between joab and david's forces and, and then on the other side abner and Ishbosheth's forces. So you have the description of a battle, and you have in chapter three then just kind of this like summary statement, like you know uh, during this you know long war that was going on between the house of Saul and the house of David, um, and uh, you know Abner for a long while was still loyal to the house of Saul. So you kind of have like all that in summary, but like we actually just haven't seen. In Second Samuel, like a, a real like throwdown with the Philistines, so that's kind of all been on hold, and and I think then to your point that you were making about hey you got this promise right in chapter seven it's like now hang on yeah what about those Philistines right like <laughs> is God going to use David to do something about them yet like it's chapter eight already guys and and i i think you know that's a good point too because this is not necessarily a chronological listing but but i think you're right i think it's rather a, a summary so are you wondering about what god's been doing well the fact of the matter is yeah god's got everything under control and that of course is the big emphasis in this chapter it's not about david you know, like it was with Saul. Saul, you know, he defeated the Amalekites. Well, not quite the way he was supposed to, but, you know, he built a monument to himself because of the great things. That, and here the emphasis is constantly, this is the victory that the Lord was was given David. And, and so it is a picture of what the Lord's been doing. He's been doing what he said he was going to do in chapter 7. He's been protecting his people from violent men. Anything else we should uh, bear in mind from the context before we get this a read through? Well, I, I tell you what, uh, no, not necessarily, although after you read through it, I, I want to deal with the elephant in the room, uh, which is how David did what he did to the Moabites, okay, because that's okay, not the key yeah. thing, but I think it's worth commenting on because it does seem kind of violent. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah, really. yeah, I know, there's, yeah, 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 about everyone being a violent man, yeah, okay, yeah, no, that, that'll be good. All right. Let's go ahead and read through the chapter then. This is Second Samuel chapter 8 in the English Standard Version. Uh, just really quick here. It starts with after this, right? So previous verse is uh, 
the the uh, conclusion of David's prayer, right, where, where he says, uh, For you, O Lord, God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Then, chapter 8. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methegamah out of the hand of the Philistines, and he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, and but left enough for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betah and from Barothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. When Toi, the king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toi sent to his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for Hadadezer had often been at war with Toi. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and the gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, from Amalek, from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder, and Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Sariah was secretary, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Carathites and the Pelathites, and David's sons were priests. So, yeah, like I was saying, like a lot of the, you get this kind of overview of the, the David administration, what he's up to militarily, um, but then also some of these other high-ranking officials. Um, interesting note at the end that, that some of his sons were priests. Uh, you know, so this is a, a good way of putting meat on the bones. But then, as you said, besides that, there is this uh, elephant in the room, as you called it. Um, lining people up, right? And then killing yep. two full lines. I mean, in general, you know, there's also the stuff about, you know, striking down 22,000 men kind of left and right. But um, yeah, what about <laughs> yes. uh, what's going on here with the Moabites in particular? It's a little bit more graphic. Well, well, now, now before we do that, because now you, you've you've led me down another path. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, well, no, no. I, seriously, you mentioned this whole phrase that begins the chapter after this, and, and I was reminded of the fact that 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 phrase is not a chronological. It's not a time phrase in the sense of the Hebrew. There isn't that on Monday David did this, and on Tuesday he did this, and on Wednesday he did this. 
uh, but rather the sense of the phrase is, I'm going to tell you some stuff here, and it's intimately connected to what I just told you, and and, and I had forgotten. Because, see, again, honestly, A.G., I just read what you assign me. <laughs> hmm. It's in my contract. I'm not responsible for anything before or after. But, but <laughs> you're, 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 no, you're, you're right. You're right. What comes immediately before this? He prays to the Lord to bless the house of your servant. Uh, and so after this, which is to say, so he prayed, and here's what God did, right? He answered his prayers, and I can give you the details of how he answered his prayers. So, so thank you for, for, for bringing that to my mind. That if, Oh, yeah, that's what the after this is. He prayed, and this is what happens. And we pray, and good things happen too. But, but now back to the, the, the Moabites. Okay, um, now hang on, hang on, though. Yeah. What, so what, what phrase were you talking about, the one that's like not strictly a- chronological? After, after this, after this. The Hebrew phrase after this. So uh, the so commentaries you, I read. Yeah. What would they say? The commentaries I read said it's not. It's not necessarily a chronological phrase. Uh, you know, in other words, it's not really? like I said. David did something on Monday and then Tuesday did this, and after this on Wednesday. No, but it is a, well, a phrase that connects things together. Well, okay. So, so I mean, that it's not necessarily like this is Monday, this is Tuesday. Like, like there could be some time. It could be like. Yeah. Some time after these things, right? Like I, I can see that, and in fact, as I look yep. at the Hebrew, like I, I, I think that kind of actually makes sense. Like you wouldn't necessarily read this as like right after that. Like you know, he gets, he's like, "Thank you, God." Uh, you know, thank you for this promise, and then and then he like gets up, snaps his fingers, and says, "Ready's my ready my chariot." Right? It's like not that they had chariots in Israel, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's not like that, but it is chronological still, like in that this is definitely not a flashback. Well, yeah, but 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 my point is is that when the Hebrew uses that phrase, they they the point it's trying to make, the nuance it's trying to make is there's a connection, yeah, between what's right. happening and what that's happened right. before. That's uh, right. That's right. There's a reason for yeah. skipping ahead in the story because there's a there's a thematic exactly. point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So in that sense, you're, you're right. Obviously, this did happen after that, but 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 you wouldn't necessarily use that phrase. Just to say, this is the next thing that took place. But exactly, you use that exactly. phrase to say, what happened here, now you got to see the result yep, of what yep. happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, okay. And, and as, as, far, as, as far as this Moabite thing, and, and, and I share this with you because God gives gifts. He just gives gifts. Because I was wrestling with this and thinking, okay, so this is this is our lesson that whenever we have our enemies, we, we should kill two-thirds of them. Good. I'll write that down. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Not, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, not the lesson. And so you, you know Bo Geertz, don't you? The, the Scandinavian oh, yeah, yeah. theologian? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So we're reading devotions last night, my wife and I, and, and, and this is what Bogert says at the end of the devotion. I thought, well, that's exactly what's going on here. So he's actually talking about the stoning of, of Stephen. And he says, with Stephen's last words, we realize that Jesus gave the world something new with his spirit. Compare Stephen's last words with that of another martyr, spoken before he was stoned in Jerusalem 800 years earlier. And when Zechariah was dying, he said, may the Lord see and avenge, Second Chronicles 24, 22. Stephen prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And so it occurred to me, well, of course there's going to be differences. Because when you bring Jesus into the picture, then, then it is all different. Uh, uh, without Jesus, we need to destroy enemies. That's what we. And, and by the way, God will to destroy enemies. That that hasn't changed. If there are violent men that are threatening us, if they don't repent, they will be they will be destroyed. That's exactly right. There will be no one in heaven who will threaten us. <laughs> They'll all be mm-hmm. done and gone. Mm-hmm. But but when you bring Jesus into the picture, all of a sudden it's different. We don't want that to happen. 
That's not what we desire for our enemies. But rather with Stephen, we pray, no, that, that, as God himself says in the Old Testament, I want them to repent and, and live. So I thought, well, that was kind of a cool insight by Bo Geertz, that with Jesus and with Jesus' spirit, think, things are different. Things, this is what you have without Jesus, if you just have the bare God of, of, of wrath and punishment of sin. Uh, but with Jesus, it, it would be different. And, and so we're going to see that throughout the entire Old Testament. So anyway, that's, I just, that just fell into my yeah. lap. I hadn't planned on that, and I wanted to share that. Well, th- yeah, no, thanks for that. No, no, you feel free to, to quote anything that Bogart says. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- th- this reminds me, too, I think of our—I uh, guess I don't know if, it, if, if we had you on for this chapter, but um, when, when Joshua's running around—actually, there's a lot about this chapter that resembles Joshua. It's, it's kind of crazy, I think. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But, but um, putting that to the side for just a second— um, when he goes and he rounds up all these different kings in the area and he just executes them all, puts their head on heads on spikes, right? Um, it, it just there's this really just really harsh, just spare no one kind of thing. Uh, the Gibeonites just barely eke by and uh, manage not to get wiped out. So I, I mean, yeah, you have you have that, and there was I think similar when we were going through Joshua, you felt like there was this this juxtaposition of. You know, Joshua is well, of course, especially with Joshua having the name, right? Um, oh yeah. But 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 there's a juxtaposition of like, well, th- they both rescue from God's enemies. They they both bring salvation, right? Uh, but yeah. Joshua is well. I mean, that, that's that's the salvation at the time, um, which is a big bloody mess, really. Um, and that Jesus represents a a, a new chapter in salvation, a, a better one. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and I guess, I suppose you could argue that actually David was merciful here and that he didn't kill all the Moabites because, like you said, that was the command to devote them to destruction, and that meant everything, um, which, which yeah. bothers my father-in-law, bothers my, how could that, and, and I, I keep, I, Jerry, Jerry, I say, it's what he's doing now. Do you think anybody gets out of this alive? He does. He kills everybody. That's still what he's doing, but, but. The point is, Fair in enough. Jesus Christ, see, it's not a devotion to destruction anymore. It's actually a devotion to forgiveness and eternal life and the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Qu- makes a big difference. You take Jesus out of the picture, yeah. and there's really not much pleasant in this world. There really isn't. And whatever it is is temporary and passing, and that just makes us all the more sad. But with Jesus, it's a whole different, it's a whole different picture, yeah. Uh, amen. I want to ask um, about Moab. So I, I do think that there are a few reasons why Moab, to me, kind of stands out. Um, you know, you mentioned the devotion to destruction. Um, yes. Was, was Moab one of the nations that was commanded to be put to, de- to destruction, devoted to destruction? Or I, I, I don't think they were, were they? I don't think they were. I, I would um, say that they wouldn't be because, if I recall, like, uh, so Moab, right, being a, a Transjordan, um, you know, people— um, Gentile people that it, it seemed like it was like once they crossed the river, it was like, okay, we're yes, like devoting yep. stuff to destruction now, right? But on the other side, it was like, well, we're not going to like, you know, wipe them all out. We're going to go and because uh, Moab is basically the same area as the inheritance of Reuben, right? And so right. it was, well, we need to go and like clear this out so that, you know, they can have a place to live there. Um, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, like wipe them all out. And 
and, and I, I, I think so. I, I might that might I might be remembering that wrong, but um, I, I think that's how it worked. And I kind kind of think part of that too, right? You see how, of course, in the Book of Ruth, there's a strong connection to Moab right there, and which shows like uh, friendly relations with Moab. And in fact, in First Samuel, you have David um, taking his parents and hiding them, uh, his his you know his, his uh, relatives, right, hiding them in Moab, right, so that Saul wouldn't go after them. So, so there, there, there are two things there. So, so yeah, uh, the Moabites are actually relatives. They're, they're family. They're, they're yep. cousins, right? They're, yeah. they're the descendants of Lot. Uh, um, and, and, but, but, but now this is interesting that you bring about up about David taking his parents uh, to keep them safe there in Moab, because that's yeah. that's what the rabbis. That's why they think David did what he did, because the the rabbinical story is that the Moabites killed David's parents. And so this was kind oh, of an wow. act of vengeance on his part because they didn't protect his parents. Now, again, that's that's the rabbis. You know, I, there's no textual evidence of that, but uh, that's the story they tell. So, Wow. Okay. Well, it's time for our breaks. So I'm just going to let that sink in. Uh, different, <laughs> different take on the story here. I will, I will I'll give my reaction when we get back, everybody. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 8 on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Here's what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. Hello there, uh, from Scottville, Michigan. We appreciate having KFUO streaming into our home. The programs on KFUO have really built up our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you to all the staff for continuing to bring the good news to all the world. We will continue to keep you in our prayers. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. When communism fell in the former Soviet Union, it was an exciting time to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had long been denied the faith. This is Reverend Robert Ron, founder of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. It's been 25 years since LHF began translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith for the people of Russia. With your help, LHF continues our work of introducing new believers to the Savior in nearly 90 countries. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 8 today, joined by our guest, Pastor John Lekumski, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics here on KFUO. 
Wednesdays at 2 p.m., Saturdays, 9 a.m. Central Time. If you've got a question for me or Pastor Lukomsky, give us a call if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, where we got a few questions to take a look at here. Um, I, I think... The, the ones that we kind of want to be thinking about soon here, um, is this a is this picture of David kind of showing that they are expanding their borders, right? Um, and that kind of complements actually one of the questions or comments here uh, on Facebook. You can ju- jump on the live stream there, facebook.com slash H.A. Espinosa. Um, is this when the Israelites have finally taken over the land, uh, parentheses, 400 years late? Um, you know, yeah, we want to talk about that. Um, you know, I think, I think in many ways, like I was mentioning that this, this sounds like Joshua. So like to what Pastor Lekomsky was saying, um, there's very deliberate thematic links in this chapter. Um, and and yeah, I, I think, I think we're supposed to be kind of mentally going back to, to Joshua. Um, so we'll want to, uh, and we kind of, speaking of Joshua, talking about, this uh, this execution that we have here with Moab, um, we're going to uh, consider what uh, Pastor Lukomsky just mentioned that there's uh, th- these rabbinic sources that say this was payback here. Um, interesting question. Before we get to that, though, I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. I don't know if they appreciate me prefacing their name with uh, the mention of, of David's violence against the Moabites. Uh, sorry if that was <laughs> just space speaking of violence. Um, yeah, it's a bad segue. Um, LHFmissions.org. Uh, no, they, they represent the better way of our Lord Jesus that Lukomsky was uh, talking about, our, our guest and pastor today. Uh, good stuff, good work that they do all around the world, despite actually uh, persecution and threats of violence. Uh, lhfmissions.org. So, okay, yeah, going back to this then, you mentioned that's that's really fascinating. I feel like this is one of those, um, you know, midrashes, right, that yes, you, yeah. al- you almost, like, have to go with because it's just like, hang on a second, guys. Like, <laughs> David, like, sends his relatives there to, like, go hide, and this is how he thinks them? Um, I, I, I think that, like, the, especially in the... Um, we remember too. We remember the scene um, with Abigail, right? In First Samuel, yep, yep. how how David's like protecting. Um, what's the guy's name? Uh, was it Nahab or um, what, what was it? The guy who his name means uh, foolishness. Was it? Was it? Uh, I feel like it was something else. Do you recall? No, I don't. I don't recall. It was um, wasn't Nahash. That was the the crazy. Amalekite who was like I'm gonna oh, Nabal. That's right, yeah, Nabal. Yep, yep, um, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, so after like defending Nabal's um, shepherds, right, and 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 guarding them, and, and not you know having anyone you know lay a hand on them or, or their flocks, right? Um, you know, he goes to Nabal and he's like, hey, we you know we need we need something to eat, and he's like, forget about it. And in that moment, that violation of hospitality, right, um, sends David through the roof. Yeah, you know, he starts, you know, cursing and, and saying, like, not a single one of you guys is going to be there in the morning. And um, I, I think that that just shows you, right? Like, yeah, that there was a very, very intense ethic of hospitality. And it seems unimaginable that David would do this to Moab if they 
actually uh, took care of his relatives um, during that time, that lengthy war with Saul. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't say anything in the text, but it's sort of like, it's it, it seems like it's almost kind of impossible not to take it that way. What do you, yeah, there's got to be some reason. And, and every commentary I read, uh, apart from the, the rabbis, was that, yeah, obviously they did something that would prompt David to do this. But again, AJ, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you've led me down another path I had not uh, intended uh, to go down. Here we go. Well, well because you, and you brought this up earlier about violent men, right? Violent men, yeah, that seems to be right. the operative phrase. And, and I was just thinking, this is why David doesn't get to build the temple, because he is well, a violent man. He's a yeah. man of blood. So we can't can't do that, and, and and so I think that's the underlining point that's going here. When when, when we go out pointing out violent men who all need to be destroyed by God, I, I think the Lord again would say, you know, if you don't repent, you'll all likewise perish. Uh, so, okay, real quick. So here's what I think the point of the text is. Whatever your enemies are, God's going to destroy them. All right? You can trust in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the devil. He, he won't. No, no. The devil's going to be defeated, has been defeated. The world. Nope, nope. The world will never overcome. You know, the, Jesus is going to take care of the world. But you got to remember your third enemy is your own flesh, right? Mm-hmm. The devil, mm-hmm. the world, and our flesh. And yeah. guess what? He's going to take care of that too. <laughs> All right? But that's mm-hmm. okay. That's okay. Because the Lord who takes care of that enemy, the flesh, is also the Lord who forgives and restores that flesh in the resurrection of the body. So I, I think that's kind of the message here. God's going to destroy enemies, and that ought to scare the whatever out of you, because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a terrible enemy in us. Uh, sinfulness is real and alive, but that's what Jesus came. He came to take care of that enemy, particularly by giving us forgiveness. And, and it occurred to me, too, if, if you wanted to deal with this whole Moabite thing as an allegory, which I know is dangerous, but it's fun to do, isn't it, AJ? It's fun to do. It's super fun. Uh, I'm really intrigued now. Well, so what did Jesus say? Many are called, but few are saved. So we got all these Moabites, but only a handful of them will will be delivered. And it's interesting, the language here, that they become servants to David and brought tribute. Those same terms are used for people who worship the Lord, who worship Yahweh. They they are also called servants of Yahweh. And they also, well, they don't translate it tribute, but it's the same Hebrew word. They they bring their offerings to him, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, so maybe, allegorically, maybe that's the point, no? And isn't it interesting, though, it's one full line. Why does the Hebrew offer that qualifying word, full line, except to say, no, everyone who will be saved will be saved. No, nobody, isn't that what Jesus said? Not a one will be lost. Mm. No, no. Anyway, that's an allegorical way of looking at it, but... Well, you know what? I, I really, I really appreciate you going ahead and going out on a limb uh, with me on that one because you know I, I think that when the text brings up numbers, um, yep. I, I just I, I know I don't want to go like kind of like full you know Kabbalah on the numbers, right? <laughs> but I, I think that there tends full to Kabbalah. be, a, yeah, you know, I, I think there tends to be though, like actually no, like there's there's some significance. I mean, we we talked about. You know, my goodness, like you just keep seeing like the number five popping up in conjunction yep, with David, yep. especially with like five, you know, uh, loaves of bread. And you're just like, mm, hang on, you know, it's just, um, <laughs> this doesn't seem like it's coincidence. So, yeah, I mean, like it just, I mean, is, isn't it something just how it's like, this is so much more specific, right? I mean, in verse three, you get David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, and that's just 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I mean, yeah. you do get this bit about the chariots, right? But, like, it's just kind of like, um, or, or you just, you know, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians in uh, verse 5. It's just sort of like, and, and that, that's the end of the story, guys. <laughs> you know, like, there, there's no, you know, but but here in, in verse 2, it's, you know, these uh, this this measuring out with the line and, um, you know, especially also about measuring, Right. Yes. Um, yes. I, I mean, like that, that itself, too, is significant. Like we remember when we were doing Zechariah, right, the measuring line, measuring, yep, yep. Um, you know, the city of Jerusalem. So I, I feel like it's a signal like something's going on here, like slow down. Right. I, I, I agree with you completely. Uh, and yet, of course, you've got to constantly be checking yourself and asking, you know, like like the fish, the number of fish that Jesus, uh, the disciples catch there after the resurrection. It, and then you realize, oh, that's no, just a lot of fish. <laughs> I don't think there's any secret meaning there. And maybe that's what we got here. It's just a lot of horsemen. It's just a lot of soldiers. But on the other hand, I think you're right. I think sometimes, no, no, that those those numbers are chosen uh, and they yeah. have significance. And, and, and AG, you see, the wonderful thing we do as Lutherans is we don't just make stuff up, <laughs> but we go no, we to the other clear things passage. as well. <laughs> we go to the clear passage of the scripture and say, "Oh, hey, look that that passage is here. Maybe not quite as clear as it is as it's revealed in the Gospels, but no, the same points being made here. I just didn't see yeah. it until I saw it in, in the Gospels." Uh yeah, no, no, that, that, that's right. And I think that the, the Gospels, they do shine a light back, a big light back into the Old Testament that just helps you get all this stuff that w- would have been pretty difficult to spot otherwise. I think that in this context here, measuring with the line, uh, it says, you know, making them lie down on the ground. Um, while that's, you know, probably just like a scary and efficient way to uh, kill a lot of people all at once, right? Um, you yeah. know, just having their, put, put all their heads forward, right? Um, I, I think that the point is if you put them, if you line them all up, this is a, this is like pretty much the easiest way to accurately measure out one third. Yes. Right. Yes. Like if you, if you take three lines and, and then, and then two, we kill one. It's like, we, we just know without like, you know, lots of figuring is like, yeah, we, we killed two thirds and we spared one third. And um, this idea, I think, of like sparing a third, because I think you you see this in other parts of the Old Testament. I don't I don't have any references handy, but uh, like like one third remaining is kind of a a uh, a very common, I think, theme or or representation of you know there was some part that was a remnant or that was left over or that was spared, but it's clearly the smaller part, right? right. It, it's right. it's definitely not the bulk of it. There, there's th- this thing has been scaled down and, and humbled. And so I, I think that it's more of a, the significance of sparing a third um, in this case, which, you know, you think about, so, so why, why is he doing this so deliberately? And, and, and kind of back to the point I was starting to go on about Ruth, like, you know, he sends his relatives to Moab because actually the Moabites are his relatives, Right. Yes. I mean, like yes. through roots. Yeah, right. I mean, his more yeah. distant relatives. Right. But so it's sort of like, hey, I, I can trust my family with family, except for when he can't. Right. But but the fact is that he's still right. I mean, related to them, he's still not supposed to, you know, devote them to destruction. And so I, I think that the sparing a third of them, I mean, it's like I, I think David felt like he had to do that. And I think he does the right thing by sparing some of them. 
And I think that's a that's an interesting point too. Yeah, that they 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 are different. If he had wiped them out, that that would not have been what the Lord willed. There there needed to be a consequence, and yet, like you said, they they still were relation. They were still part of the people, and and uh, yeah, I, I I think that's a good insight, AJ. I, I, I was thinking I, that, that 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 third thing comes up all the time in, in Revelation too. But yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say too. Like, I wonder if, in some ways, you can say this is like David honoring the fourth commandment, right? Because I yes. mean, g- oh, yeah. given that Ruth, his his ancestor, right, was a, was a Moabitess, right? Just out of respect for you know his family line, he can't wipe them out. Um. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, we. I think we've. Wow, we got a lot more out of this Moabite bit than I than I expected here. But okay, but let's take a look here at some some more of these questions. So, kind of going back to that one email question about uh, which was kind of echoed here on Facebook. So, is David like expanding the borders here? Or is this sort of like you know? I, I mean, so the email question was actually comparing it to the Holy Roman Empire, like you know, like you know, like we're you know pushing and expanding of. But I think when we got to the Holy Roman phase, it was pretty much shrinking. Uh, but yeah, uh, that, that aside. Um, but, you know, so then on Facebook also, so uh, is this where the Israelites finally get all the, the promised land that Joshua had been talking about? So I don't, like, looking at the chapter kind of a little bit more broadly, or at least this first half, uh, what do you think? Well, I, and, and, and again, I, I, there, there's no doubt in my mind that, yeah, that's the point that's being pushed, especially this phrase, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates, because that was part of the promise, right? That was part of the promise made to Abraham that this land would extend all the way to the river Euphrates from yeah. Egypt to Euphrates. Right. So there, there's no doubt. And again, to me, that's what this chapter is about. God makes promises. He keeps his promises. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the only thing is you got to be careful. Think, oh my God, he's going to keep his promises because I'm such a good guy. No, no, he keeps his promises because he's a good guy. <laughs> well, and, and, and I liked what you said because you're a good guy. Then, then you're, you're then you're going to be in trouble. Like David will end up being in trouble. Well, that's, that's uh, right. Yeah. yeah. But, but I like what you said, like on that point about how, in, in some ways, you, you wonder if it's almost like, you know, no, David, you are my instrument of destruction. You yes. know, for better or yeah. for worse, right? You are not going to be the guy who builds the temple, right? Like, yep. I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to have the temple be built with bloody hands, um, yeah. which is, which is a powerful image that um, is also found in the prophet Isaiah. Um, we read that that you know here here you have your hands outstretched in prayer, but they're full of blood, right? And God looks at that yeah. and says, "You you think this is how you should pray to the one true God with your hands still with the the blood of the innocent?" And so you wonder, right? Like, because you see that in uh, the Levitical codes, the uh, I mean, the stuff that's just in Numbers, right? How there are different things that can make you unclean ceremonially, so that you could not participate um, in the liturgical life directly. And 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 there were lots of good things that could make you unclean, right? Like a, like a man's relations with his wife, like yes, could make him yeah. unclean. Not that it was bad. It's just that. Uh, well, I don't like go into like too much detail here, but like ba- basic idea being like you should spend some time preparing and focusing on on church before you you know walk through the doors into the sanctuary, right? And yep. you know yep. not be thinking and having your mind elsewhere. So I mean, like you can see that there's this kind of uh, there's a kind of basic human awareness, I think, with the idea of uncleanness and the idea of 
you, you know what I'm using I'm using this for these purposes that are important, right? But then when it's something like holy, like building the temple, I'm going to use something else for that. Um, that's what holiness entails. So, so, so AJ, here, again, man, this has been fun for me because now here's another thought that never occurred to me. So, so the point is we're looking for a Messiah, right? We all yeah. know that's the plan. That's the program. So we got King Saul. Well, no, no, King Saul, he's, his, his lineage isn't going to even have anything to do with it. it. It was an evil thing you asked for for a king. That was a wicked thing, Samuel tells you. You got your king. That's what you asked for. But no, Saul is just all about God's law. And, and Saul's problem is, of course, he thinks it's all about him because he's so tall and good looking. All right, now we got David. All right, now we're cooking. Now we got messianic material. No, yeah. no, David, David, David has a lot of things that are true of the Messiah. He is one who's going to come and defeat our enemies, but he's he's got bloody hands, like you said. Oh, Solomon, now we got a guy that'll be a Messiah. He can build the temple. Now we're cooking. No, no, no. Solomon ends up uh, worshiping all kinds of other gods and does, can't even keep the first commandment. And if you go from Solomon, yeah. it just gets that way. It gets, gets, there's some good guys, some bad, but nobody and so finally then we get Jesus and it's like the Bible saying this is the one you've been waiting for all along you you thought you yeah. had it in Saul you thought you had it in David you thought you had it in Solomon uh, there are probably a lot of kings you didn't think you have it in but maybe a Hezekiah but no yeah. no all of these guys were going to fall short but here is Josiah. the king you've been waiting for yeah yeah it's that, that, I like that a lot that you know even even with the good kings right it's it's not like they're the the, the faultless or sinless kings, no, they, each, no. they each have their issues. And uh, maybe we could summarize Solomon's as he's too much of an accumulator, you know, a, a both yep. of wealth, uh, oh. of, uh, of uh, eclectic uh, foreign items of interest. <laughs> of, I mean, he just, he's just kind of a little, a little, little, little bit too uh, hoarding here, right? And, and hey, David hey, is could... like, well, you know, he's he's a you know a good thing, right? He's defeating the enemies of God. But bad thing is, you know, he gets really pumped up from you know slaughtering tons of Philistines, and then really uh, goes overboard with the uh, party, the victory party back at home, right? So it's like they they all have their issues, right? And, and I think that's hey, just hey, a good hey, comment you had. Yeah, hey, AJ, can can I give you a verse about Solomon now that you brought that up? Oh, yeah, so sure. this is what the law this is what the law said in Deuteronomy. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. There you and go. that is exactly that is exactly what Solomon did. But but see, that's the cool thing about this chapter. That's exactly what David isn't doing, right? David gets all this stuff and he devotes it all to the Lord. And as you said earlier, it becomes the the financial foundation for the construction of the temple. So that's that right. part David does well. But on the other part, you know, the the bloody hands, no, no, that part. Well, but you know, the thing you said earlier, A.J., that I think is so so important, too. And yet that's what God needed him, right? That's how God yeah. used him. Yeah. That's yeah, right. He was the one I mean, yeah, that's right. I mean, Saul enemies. played yeah. an invaluable role yes. in, in, in the history of Israel. I mean, you, you had to have a Saul. I mean, that yes. it, it was what was needed at the time, right? Um, well, so speaking of this, uh, this succession here, so um, th this is where if you have a map, there's really kind of no replacing uh, a map here, but— if you, if you look at like a map um, that you can get some that compare the kingdoms of uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, and th that's where you see how uh, Saul's kingdom. I mean, which is you, you don't look at it and be like, oh, see, he was a bad king, so it was tiny. Okay, he was the yeah. first king. You have to start yes, somewhere, yeah. guys, right? Um, <laughs> but right. but you see, it's like pretty much like just up in the hills, 
right? I mean, like, you know, it, it seems to go into Bashan, I guess, for some extent, but it, it's pretty well just up in the hills, which is pretty much like what happened in Joshua, right? That in Joshua, God said, hey, you know, go conquer all this stuff. Uh, and they're sort of like, oh, see, but we don't want to go down there because that's where their chariots are roaming around and we're going to get slaughtered. So we'd prefer to be up in the hills, kind of harder for them to get their uh, get their chariots up here. Um, it's it's kind of like what ends up happening. Uh, but then you actually see in the way that this gets narrated that, yeah, no, David actually goes and starts... He goes, starts really going on a tear here and starts capturing all kinds of stuff that they didn't actually ever have before, really. Um, not not in a kind of—well, see, and I think this is important, too, actually, right? Because we, we see this kind of again and again, this mention of a tribute, right? Yes, um, It says yes. in verse 2, Dave, uh, the Moabites paid servants to David and brought tribute. Um, and there—where was it later? I think we see that again, the bit about tribute. The Syrians became servants to David, verse 6, and brought tribute— Right. And and that's important. That's not like, oh, David is uh, like, I don't know, mean and just making them take, you know, he's just, you know, greedy or something. But no, uh, the tribute shows who's in control. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. So because in, cause in uh, judges, right, it would say that, like, you know, the people would go and they'd settle among the Canaanites. Right. Which way do you think that their tribute was flowing to the Canaanites? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because that's yeah, really yeah. who was in control. Right. But so. So, yeah. So I think it's just really in the ancient context. It's like th- this is who's actually in charge. And so, David, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he actually takes everything, um, but I don't think anyone really outdoes him. I mean, except for maybe arguably the um, Hasmonians or uh, the Hasmoneans, but that's a whole other thing. And, 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 and what's neat about that word is it's also the word, like I said, that is used about what we are supposed to do to God. It's actually one of the words for the sacrifices that were really offered to the Lord. And, and so it's a neutral word, and, and the, the, the meaning of it flows from where the heart's at. So, so if you're giving it to because you have to, well, then I guess it would be tribute. If you're giving it to because it's what you want to, it would be translated gift, as it is a lot of times in the Bible. But yeah. you're absolutely right. The nuance of the word is, whoever I've given this to, I'm acknowledging they're the people in charge. Yep. They're the ones in control. That's, yeah, it's and, basically and so it's taxes. Interesting. It's, it's, it's the same word that's used to what Cain gives. It's yeah. the same word that's used back there. But, of course, yeah. see, there it was a tribute. There He didn't think of the Lord as being in charge. There he thought, well, I'm doing all oh, this work. Why would I have? Oh, all right. Well, I suppose that's what I'm supposed to do. Whereas Abel, of course, he made his offering in faith. It really was uh, a recognition that, no, everything I have here, this is all given me. So I'm not really giving him anything. <laughs> I'm just showing my thanks for what he's given me. Yeah. Well, and I think that along those lines, again, you mentioned this of um, David's thankfulness and dedicating things to the Lord. You know, there is this description of David taking a bunch of stuff, right? So, you know, he's getting the tribute, establishing the control. Um, And then it says in verse four, you know, this is, it's pretty interesting, right? It says, you know, David took from him um, 1,700 horsemen. You know, that, that language of uh, taking horsemen, that's, um, that that's not that's not usual, um, you know. That's not, and so I, I think there the bit too. David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for one hundred chariots. Um, you you wonder like is the point that they're actually, you know, taking some of these horses and chariots, right? Because remember Joshua, they they burned the chariots, yeah, right? Yeah, they destroyed yeah, the yeah, chariots, destroyed them, yeah. Um, but you know, perhaps this is uh, 
I don't know, maybe it's upgrades, you know, I mean, remember that they, uh, because of, uh, you know, the Philistine situation with the blacksmiths, like they were running around with like sharpened, uh, plowing hose and stuff like yep, that. So, yep, yeah. uh, so yeah, so may- maybe that's what's going on there. And then like you said, you know, he's like getting these, uh, shields of gold. It says there in verse seven. Um, yep. and, and these other, uh, you know, it says, uh, in verse 11, right there, right. Um, silver and gold. Right. So, uh, yeah, so he's not going to build the temple, but he's definitely given Solomon a head start. And and that's the that's the neat thing about it. And and there's the contrast. What what did, what did Saul do when he he battled the Amalekites? Well, he was actually supposed to devote them to destruction. There was no re- relationship there, and yet he kept some of the stuff. And he didn't keep it for the Lord. He kept it for himself. Of course, it wasn't what I wanted to do. It's what the people wanted to do. Remember, he said. Yeah. Uh, uh, but th- there yeah. there's the difference in the heart. Yeah, David realizes all of this is a gift from God. I I couldn't have beaten these people by my own power. So what am I going to do with all this? wealth? Well, I'm going to devote it to the Lord. You know, why, why wouldn't I? It's his stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, which I think kind of also is is, uh, is is interesting that when you consider what happened in the Babylonian captivity, where, um, I, mean, uh, I mean, in the exile, yeah. where they take all that stuff out of the temple, right? Yeah. And then it's a really big deal that they get it back, right? Because yep. in some ways it's, I mean, it's going going back to David here, right? Um, but so la- last thing about that, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went, right? So yeah. you see that yeah. um, in verse, what was it, 14? And then there was something else. It was one other verse also, but like the rep- verse uh, six, right? And that, that seems to almost uh, exactly follow uh, Joshua, right? Like I, yeah. I will be yeah. with you wherever you go and give you victory, right? So there, there's this idea of yeah, David is like being a real Joshua here, which again is um pointing away to the other one who bore the name Joshua, which is the same yeah. name as Jesus himself. Yep, yeah. and that victory, you know, it's interesting too that it's it's God who lifts Jesus up. He, even even the Lord Jesus recognizes that that it is uh, his Father who who's giving him all these things, including the cross. He gave him the cross, but he also gave him the victory. Just real quick, though, you know, these last few verses point ahead that it's it's not always going to be so good because you have Joab mentioned, you have Abiathar mentioned, and, of course, these are going to be key people that will cause David all kinds of problems before yeah. the story is done. So there's a little bit of that in the end of the chapter, that things aren't going to be perfect here in the kingdom of David either. But also perhaps the silver lining, the mentioning of uh, David's sons being priests, that uh, yeah. David's son, right, capital S, would be not only the true Joshua and the true king, but also the true priest. So Absolutely. Uh, lots of good things to, to come. Thank you so much, brother. Uh, very stimulating uh, conversation. Loved some of the creative points you brought out. Looking forward to having you on again soon. Everybody, Pastor John Lekumski, co-host Wrestling with the Basics, Wednesdays and Saturdays, 2 and 9 Central Time. Moving on to Chapter 9. Until then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. The official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.